it's the same as us. Like if we come in after having a bad day or a bad night, we would love if someone checked in with us. And we sometimes as adults, we have more coping strategies and we have to just kind of turn it on for a second with the kids. But wouldn't it be so much better if someone said like, hey, how are you doing? Are you having an okay day? Or just talk to us before the kids came in, um, how much better we would feel too. So if we're doing that for our kids, it can only be positive and it can only welcome them into our classroom more. And that's ultimately what we want. I hope you've got a basket and are ready to catch all the gems that my guest Mikey is throwing out on today's episode because he and I are talking all about trauma-informed instruction and how you can use that to create a more welcoming and inclusive classroom for all of your students. So I hope you've got your basket because I'm about to drop the intro. See you in the episode. Hey, hey, welcome to the Culture Center Classroom Podcast a space for educators looking to step into their power by creating a classroom environment and lessons that affirm, welcome, and celebrate all their students through instruction. I'm your host, Jocelyn Hubbard, an educator, teacher coach, wife, mother to five children, and your partner on this journey of creating culture-centered classrooms. Let's jump into the episode. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I am really excited for today's episode because it is a guest episode. And the guest that I'm getting ready to interview is one who has a wealth of knowledge about trauma-informed instruction, which I'm not sure if you are familiar with it already, but if you are not, you are definitely going to learn about it today. And it pairs so nicely with culturally responsive pedagogy. So I felt like it was really important for me to have this guest on the show. So let me just give a little quick introduction to who the guest is, and then I will bring him on. So Mikey Sievert is a fifth grade teacher in Ohio. He has been teaching upper elementary grades for 17 years. So Hello, you, you need to be tuning in, listening for this goodness. His passion revolves around social emotional learning and he works to make SEL accessible to teachers. He creates lesson plans and resources for the upper elementary classroom that have a trauma-informed lens. He also plans and delivers professional development to educators in both SEL and TIC. Michael lives in Cleveland, Ohio with his five-year-old dog, Callahan. He's an avid reader and is a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community. So without further ado, I am going to bring Mikey on to the show. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Jocelyn. How are you? I am doing great today. How are you? I'm great too. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. So I just gave kind of a quick introduction to who you are, but is there anything else that you would like to say? I want to, you know, reinforce how much I love trauma-informed instruction. I always call it my love language. I know it's not one of the, really the five love languages, but it's mine. I love what it does for kids and really for teachers and educators too. It's just, it's my passion. And that's, whenever somebody asks me what I teach, I always start with, I teach the kids, not just the, not the grade level or the subjects, because that's the most important part of this. Hands down, I agree. Let's start with a definition of trauma-informed instruction. What is this and why is it beneficial to students, but also for teachers. So trauma-informed instruction really comes from the idea of trauma, and it's more the emotional trauma, not necessarily the physical. An understanding or an idea of things that impact students, anybody really, but in this case, we're talking about students, things that create barriers for them that are specific to the individual child. And really, trauma is anything that creates an emotional reaction for a student. And trauma can be different, obviously, for different people. And it, 
some you might be familiar with, if you're not totally sure what this is, you might be familiar with the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study, where they took, they studied a bunch of kids, this was back in like the 80s, with 10 specific things that they found that caused trauma. So that was seeing abuse in the home, drug drug use, um, sexual abuse, and found that the more of these ACEs a kid had, the higher the chances they, they had of having depression, anxiety, you know, a multitude of issues that could impact them. And since then, they've added a bunch of other things that I think are really important. They also cause trauma. Those things are racism, sexism, natural disasters. There's a whole bunch of other things that impact kids. I think when we talk about trauma-informed instruction and trauma-informed care, it really is about what the individual kid needs and how that thing impacts students. One of the examples that I like to use is something like death in the family or death of a loved one. Kids react differently to death, especially depending on the kind of relationship that they might have with that person it can be a little bit different. And so I think sometimes we do get in the habit, me too, of, <laughs> you know, if someone, if someone passes away, we're immediately like, this is what the kid's feeling. But it varies completely different on the experiences of a child and just their kind of mentality about things. So it's important to look at what causes trauma, but it's also important for us to recognize that trauma looks different for individual kids. And, you know, there are strategies that help all kids with all different types of trauma, but understanding kind of how a kid ticks is important in helping us kind of address them even better. Right. So I love how you made the distinction for us because I did not know that it was more of the emotional kind of response, not necessarily the physical piece. And I feel like, especially with the last two years and the pandemic, we are recording and this episode will air in 2022, I guess, a quote unquote, normal year, if we even want to (laughs) call it that, right? Where most of the like COVID policies and procedures are much more lax. We don't have to wear masks and we're not doing social distancing and all of those things. But the trauma that students have experienced from that is huge. That is, again, one of the reasons why I really wanted to bring you on the show because we have to lead with that lens. You were just saying like, we have to check in with them. And so like earlier, right before we started recording, Mikey mentioned that we have to ask the kids how they are. We have to know how they are before we can teach the content. And and that's one of the things that I know you really focus on is, like you said, I teach kids before the content. Like that's just one piece Mm -hmm. for teachers. How can this, how can using this lens benefit them? I think the most important thing that I like to get across to teachers is when you, when you use this lens to get to know your kids and understand what they need in that moment, it really gives you more time in the classroom with the kids to focus on the content. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we think, well, if I have to take these five or 10 minutes out of my day to do X, Y, Z with my kids emotionally, then I'm losing that five or 10 minutes of instruction time. But sincerely, you're getting it back because if kids come into your classroom and they're not ready to learn and we totally ignore that, they're still not ready to learn. And then anything you teach them, they, they, they're not being rude or dismissive or any of that. They literally can't take it in because they have something else on their minds. And so I think that's one of the most important things is understanding that checking in with kids and understanding what they need at that moment is the most important thing that we can do. And it's not taking away time. Right before we came on, we were also talking and Jocelyn, you said it's the same as us. Like if we come in after having a bad day or a bad night, we would love if someone checked in with us. And we sometimes as adults, we have more coping strategies and we have to just kind of turn it on for a second with the kids. But wouldn't it be so much better if someone said like, hey, how are you doing? Are you having an okay day? Or just talk to us before the kids came in. Um, how much better we would feel too. So if we're doing that for our kids, it can only be 
positive and it can only welcome them into our classroom more. And that's ultimately what we want is for them to feel welcome and invited in our classroom. And it's it's such an easy thing to do when you stop for a second and you say, hey, how you doing? One of the big things that I've changed in my classroom, I, I do come from an up, upper elementary lens. And so I know it's a little bit different in middle school or high school, but I don't have bell ringers or morning work anymore. It's it's an emotional check-in time. So they come in and there's a Google form every morning that they fill out that just says, how are you doing today? How did you sleep? Do you need anything from me? And that's their that's their morning work or their bell work. And sometimes it's it's literally just, I call it a soft start. I just let them kind of come in and just kind of hang out. Sometimes they just need to talk to their peers. They just need to just, I mean, we do too, I think. When we come into school or work, like we're talking to our friends and our co-teachers too. So sometimes I just let them do that. And it's those little tiny shifts that allow kids to come in and feel like they're supposed to be there and they are there. It just changes things just a little bit. And it's not, it's not a lot of work for us either. I love how you just gave that very quick example because doing an emotional check-in with a Google form, you create that one time. And of course you can add questions or take questions off and on depending on the time of year, but you do it one time and you just kind of copy it and put it out there so that you can get those those responses. So it's a very quick way to make sure that you have checked in with your students. And I love the question of how did you sleep last night? Because yeah. we oftentimes just charge right on ahead and that child mm-hmm. has not gotten good sleep. And I know that I'm personally guilty of it, right? It's like, well, you're a kid. You should have slept really great. But as you said, there there may be abuse in the house. There may be socioeconomic influences that mm-hmm. have caused them not to be able to eat the night before. So then they didn't sleep very well, right? There's a whole host of things, or maybe there was a storm. And like, I know for my oldest son, he doesn't like storms, right? He's scared of them at the current moment. And so <laughs> that causes him sometimes to not sleep well at night. And yeah. our children, like our students, they don't always have the option to not come to school. As an educator, Hopefully, as a part of your startup plan for the year, you have also decided on some of your self-care strategies. So if you haven't done that yet, go back, look at your self-care and say, look, these are the are the number of days that I get off. Take them. I know that yeah. it's challenging because we want to make sure that we're there every day so the students have consistency and so that we are teaching the standards so that our students are able to succeed. But also, if, right, if, if we're not okay, then we can't show up as our best selves. But our students can't say necessarily, well, as a part of my self-care plan, I'm going to take off today. So how can we right. give them that opportunity for self-care and self-check-in in the classroom and creating a safe space, a comfortable space for them? to say, I can be honest with my teacher and let them know that I didn't sleep well last night. And then that gives you the opportunity to say, hey, let's chat for a minute. Like, is there anything going on that you need me to know? I know you didn't sleep well. Are you hungry? I have some snacks. How can we start to put the pieces together? Right. And I think one of the most important things that I've kind of learned with that too, is I think as the school year goes on, obviously after you've built connections and relationships, the kids are more likely to kind of tell you what's going on. At the beginning of the year, and I do it really throughout the whole year, I kind of check in with them too out loud and model what it sounds like. So I'll say things like, hey, you guys, I'm in the yellow zone right now because I didn't sleep very well. It's not you guys, I love you guys, but if I seem kind of cranky, I'm really sorry. Like, And I'll tell them I need to, I'm doing this behind the scenes, like I deep breathe with them on purpose. Or I say, I'll even say like, Hey guys, I need 30 seconds. I need to take some deep breaths to calm myself down just to start modeling it for them. Because then the kids see it as a normal, it's a routine. It's just part of being human and and being alive. And they start to, they start to see like, it's not, there's no shame. There's no, like, you're not weak. If you say that kind of stuff, I actually, and I tell them, and I, I fully believe it too. I think you're stronger when you do that because you're able to admit like, Hey, I need help. 
Um, and I, on that same line, I also think, because um, I think these two things kind of go hand in hand. I think sometimes teachers, it's totally in the in the positive mindset that we, we want this, but sometimes I think we want to know every single detail about what's going on with the kid, like what is their trauma or why do they feel this way? Mm-hmm. Truly, we don't need to know that. If you know a kid needs something and you know what the kid needs, just give that to them. You know, I think if you're a school counselor or mental health therapist or anything like that, I think that's totally different. And yes, the more details you can get from a kid, the more you can help them. But us as teachers, if you know a kid is experiencing trauma, has trauma, has residual trauma, and just needs something in that moment, you don't really need to know every detail. Just ask them what they need. And if they want to share their feelings and they want to share how what's going on, then let them, obviously. But that's not the focus. The focus is how can I help you right now? Which I, I love that too, because everybody responds to trauma differently. As yes. you have already yeah. said, For like myself, I am a talker, like I'm a verbal processor. So I sometimes overshare, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people like myself, we are oversharers and we, and we give all of it. And if, if we feel comfortable, but like you said, there are some people that they don't want to talk about it and maybe eventually they will, but mm-hmm. I still need to be able to give you what you need so that you feel safe and you feel okay enough to be able to participate here with your classmates. Absolutely. I think also one of the things that you were just talking about as far as remembering for ourselves as educators to talk about and think about ways to build bridges of empathy, because honestly, that is the most important thing, like is helping us as educators connect to our students and our students to connect to each other, building relationships is all about building bridges of empathy and sharing stories. So you just said, hey, I use myself as an example. And yes, I'm doing it to model, but I'm also doing it for myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Educator, we like I feel like we need to show up authentically because that's good for our mental health as well. Like that's good for our emotional health. Like, hey, kids, guess what? Yes, I am like a superhero. I've got a superhero heart for, for caring about people and all of that, but I'm still human. And I need you to see that so that you don't have unrealistic expectations of me every day. Right. Sharing that your story helps your students to start to build those bridges as well. I mentioned in your bio that you are a proud member of the LGBTQIA plus community. And and you said that that has helped you to build bridges of empathy. So like, talk to me about that. What's, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's really important for me to acknowledge I, I am a cis white man. And that provides me a lot of privilege in this world. And I'm totally aware of that. And I'm, I always work on making sure that I'm building empathy for others. But being gay has also given me that lens of, you know, how the oppression can feel and how the treatment can feel that makes you feel less than. And it creates such a bond of empathy when you're able to kind of provide that for other students. And I don't necessarily mean like, I mean, for all types of students with any cultural background, I can process how that looks and how that feels for me. And it doesn't, it's not the same for everybody. And we all react to it differently. But being able to have the empathy to understand how that must feel for a kid, how that must feel for even your colleagues, your coworkers, your friends, is so powerful. When you're able to show them true empathy, you're able to kind of share yourself with them is really important. I teach fifth grade and I, I don't share too much with them. They know enough and I know enough about them to be able to say like, hey, I know how you're feeling or I, I have a, a similar experience to you. I don't necessarily have to share the experience, but I can tell them how I felt. And I think it's also important for me to kind of model that for the kids who maybe don't have trauma or who don't have that, who don't have that sense of oppression or who haven't felt that to kind of just be able to understand in an, in an age appropriate way, 
this is how somebody else might feel or might have to navigate the world. And how can we help them feel like comfortable and more a part of our community? Those things are really important to me. Empathy to me is one of the biggest tools that we can use with our kids, with each other, because it really develops that sense of a shared experience that we don't maybe necessarily share the experience, but we've shared the world with each other and we're sharing our experiences with each other. And that's so vitally important to help bridge gaps with trauma because trauma absolutely affects us and it can it can really change how kids see the world. But as soon as you bring in empathy, and you show them what true empathy looks like, you start to kind of chip away at how the trauma is affecting them. I don't think we ever, unfortunately, can get rid of it. But you know, you can start to chip away at it, you can start to help them start to see the world a little bit differently and find those self coping strategies to start to feel better. And I think at the end of the day, when you you're able to build that empathy with kids with each other, it's so important. And it changes the game for us in so many different ways as educators and just as human beings too. There were so many little pieces of of what you just said. First, you know, acknowledging, as you said, that you are a cis white man. That is how the world sees you. For myself, I am a black woman. There is nothing that I can do If I walk into a room, people see me as a Black woman. There is a difference. That is important to acknowledge. But at the heart of why empathy is so important is because we can connect our hearts to each other and say, hey, yes, I haven't experienced the same trauma that you have, but I have experienced trauma. And so that connects us person to person, experience to experience, heart to heart. And it it gives us a softer heart. It gives us a different lens. It gives us the opportunity to say, what you have going on here matters. It matters. Mm -hmm. Like your pain or your joy. Because I think sometimes we think about empathy just from like the grief or the sadness. But understanding when someone is so excited, I don't want to hate on them, right? I don't want to like suck the joy out of the room. No, like I remember what it felt like to be so excited about this opportunity, especially for our kids, because when they get so excited, sometimes they can get loud, they can, you know, run around the room because their energy is just on 10. And as an adult, sometimes I can, you know, I got to remind myself that (laughs) when you get so excited about something, sometimes you feel like running around the room, right? But you don't because you're like, okay, no, I'm an adult. And also these knees are not... (laughs) set up the way they used to be. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I think that what you said is so important because there is sometimes this block of people thinking, well, because I haven't experienced the very same trauma, then maybe there's there's no space here or or that person may not be able to hear me. But that's not true. It's about the way that you show up. It's about your energy and the way that you approach that situation. So definitely love that. And I and I want all and any educators that are listening to, to hear that as well. Because mm-hmm. even as a Black woman, I can't necessarily say that my experience as a Black woman is the same as every other Black woman in this world, because it's not. You talked about how teachers are sometimes already doing some of these things. In the morning, you already have your students doing some type of bell ringer or starter, but hey, let's switch the focus. Let's maybe do an emotional check-in. Are there a couple of other things that you feel like teachers are already doing and that they can just maybe put more of a focus on to make sure that their classroom has that lens? Yeah, I think it's important to kind of recognize that Trauma-informed care really is caring about students. And it's just looking through the lens of if a kid has experienced trauma. And something that I think is important to share too is these strategies work for any kid. They're especially important, obviously, for kids who have experienced trauma. So little things like when you check in with your students and they need something, kind of rethinking 
how we respond to things. One of the things that I had to change about how I perceive certain things. So an example I can give is if a kid comes into my room and falls asleep, I used to think that that was disrespectful or I used to think you can't sleep in school. But when you, if you get to know a kid and you know that that kid maybe doesn't sleep very well because something's happening in their household that's traumatic and they fall asleep in your classroom, that's actually, think about that. They're falling asleep in your room. That means they're safe. That means they feel comfortable. Let them sleep. Let them have that moment. That should be something that shows how much of a great educator you are, that they feel comfortable enough to sleep in your room. They're not being disrespectful. They're showing you a need. Those little tiny mindset shifts. Another thing that I I share with teachers a lot. This actually gets really dicey if you look in like Facebook groups, which I don't understand why it's such a hot topic, but kids who wear hats or kids who wear hoods, sometimes that's a trauma response. Sometimes it is like, I just want to wear a hat because it looks cool, but sometimes it's a trauma response. That hood or that hat is like a, almost like a safety blanket. So instead of immediately saying like, no hats, no hoods, where did that come from and why? Let them, if it, it's not a distraction. And that, that can be kind of almost a, like a, signal to us that that kid needs something. Some of the, maybe the norms or the expectations that our schools or the system has set that we kind of still hold on to that I challenge sometimes because I don't understand where they came from. And I'm not saying like, don't follow the rules, but can you bring it up to your school district? Can you bring it, can you start being that example in your school of saying, I'm letting them wear a hood because X, Y, Z. It starts to kind of just bridge the gap with other people, but you're showing that kid that empathy, that respect, that's what breaks down the effects of trauma. So just by doing those little things, another thing I think you can do really easily, and again, this maybe is geared more towards elementary, but I think you could do this in middle school and high school too. I pull small groups. I, the subject I teach is math. So I pull small groups with my kids and they don't come over right away and we're like immediately into the math. I'm always checking, now that I have a small group of five that's with me, I'm just checking in with them. Like, how's your day going? You know, getting to know your kids and this can be difficult at first, but how was your lacrosse game last night? Or how's your little baby sister doing? Or asking them those little things that connect with them, that's trauma-informed because you're you're responding to them in a way that makes them feel like they're seen and they're heard. And I think that connects what you talk about all the time with culturally responsive pedagogy. Those are very similar in terms of knowing the kid and seeing the kid. We learn how to teach our kids, but our kids are individuals too. And so taking that, that moment to get to know them individually and in them that we remember them individually is such a huge thing. And I, great educators are already doing that. You know, maybe it's more of a conscious, like I have to do this or check in with them because we all need that. I'm growing all the time and different things that I can do with my kids. And sometimes I do rush into things where I'm like, okay, we, we got to get this math done. And I have to, I have to stop myself sometimes be like, hold on a second. Did you check in with them? Did you really say hi to them this morning? When I work with teachers, it's looking at what you already do because you're already doing great things. It's then amplifying them or streamlining them a little bit to help you get that time back or find the ways to really connect with the kids. But I think we're already doing amazing things. Some of the things that shift our practice, our mindset and our the, the lens, our intentionality, making sure that I am an educator that is coming into the room. I am culturally responsive. I am I'm using a trauma-informed lens, thinking about the child's social and emotional needs. All of these pieces come together. And like you said, many times teachers are already doing this, but they're either not necessarily aware of it because honestly, like when I first got into the classroom, I was kind of just using basic ideas that I thought I needed to be using in the classroom. I mean, yeah, and mm -hmm. usually first, second, third year teachers, we're just trying to make it, right? right. But as I, as I started to, understand my students and think about what it is that they actually needed, I realized that, you know what, this right here is not going to work for them. 
And I did not realize that what I was doing was being culturally responsive. I didn't have those words, but mm-hmm. it was. And then once I did find the words for it, that was like phenomenal. Cause I'm like, oh great. Then now I can actually, I can kind of give it a title and I can share this with other educators. But I would listen, Whew, I think sometimes we as educators, we do have to challenge a bit here, right? Like, because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's sitting in the classroom with these children. And I'm the one who sees that, yeah, regardless of whether they have a hoodie on or a hat on, they're still doing the work. So right. what is it that you're like, what point are you really trying to make here? And now I know that sometimes there's like a safety concern with with students having hoodies on, but So many schools across America have metal detectors and people are winding people down and whatever. I think we are aware of whether this child has brought any type of weapon into the school, especially at middle schools and high schools, valuing the way that these students choose to show up. Like you said, I mean, that could be like a like a security blanket for them. Our ideas about the way students need to look and the way that they need to present in order to learn is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I don't learn better because my hair is straight. I don't learn better because I have on, you know, a, a, a tie and a suit or whatever. Like, yeah, I do think that there are ways that I do feel differently when I have on my heels and I'm, you know, I'm out here on the town or whatever versus if I just yeah. have on sweatpants. Right. But I think that you need a balance of both and trying to police children and, and say like, you have to show up this way, you are robbing them of an yeah. opportunity to choose and say, today I need to wear sweatpants because I need to feel safe and comfortable in a different way. But I promise you, I'm still gonna like be here for your lesson. That is definitely something that I always pushed back on. It can be difficult, especially as a, as a younger teacher in the profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point to bring up too, is that the younger or even people who maybe don't feel comfortable challenging things, I think that's, it's really important when you find or when you're able to connect with people, even if you have like a mentor or somebody in your area that understands what you're talking about, or, you know, can support you, that's such an important thing to kind of hold on to and use in that that sense as well. And I think it's definitely easier, the more that you do it, the more that you push forward on things, the easier it becomes. And I think there's ways to have this conversation and talk to administrators or things that you're you're just bringing up concerns or you're just bringing up like, hey, can you help me with, if we have this particular behavioral thing in place, can you explain why? Because I, I don't see it as a problem in my classroom. There's different ways that you can bring it up, but I totally understand what you're saying. When you're brand new to the profession, it can be a little bit scary sometimes to be like, I have to push back on things. And I just use your network and use your colleagues who do feel comfortable to you know, either go with you or have a conversation with like what it could be like, practice with you. I think that's really important. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for, you know, jumping in there for me. Um, Yes. I think that finding your people in your community at the school can also really kind of help to empower you as an educator. And if you all are standing on, don't just take my word for it, come in my classroom and see, see how these kids are are thriving because I am allowing them to show up as their authentic selves. And I'm not like just so focused on why don't you have your shirt tucked in? Why don't you have, you know, like things that at the end of the day, (laughs) just they don't matter in the grand scheme. It just don't yeah. like so so yeah one one other thing that I wanted to pull out from all the all the goodness that you've been sharing is how trauma informed instruction like that lens how it can be great for students who have experienced trauma but also for students who have not building these bridges of empathy is not just about helping you know it's not just about for you it's about student to student you have that lens it allows other students who haven't experienced 
trauma maybe at all, or maybe they didn't even realize that they had experienced any type of trauma, because I, I'm not sure if some of our younger students necessarily understand that this pandemic caused them trauma, right? Like they yeah. can't, I don't know if they can verbalize that necessarily and say, I have gone through a traumatic situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As an educator, we can kind of help build the awareness of how to be healthy and to, to develop ourselves and to use what we have to be empathetic person to person. And I think the other thing too, is understanding that trauma, although it is a part of your identity, right? It doesn't have to be the center of your identity. And when you're using these trauma-informed teaching strategies, it helps students to see that although I am acknowledging the trauma that I might have experienced this morning, I am now able to use that maybe as an example in class. Or I see another student who has their head down, but maybe Mr. Sievert hasn't seen it, but I can go over and talk to that child and we can have a connection here. And I, you know what I mean? Like, so they can start to see that, that that piece of their identity can really help in other ways. It's not all of who I am, mm-hmm. but it's part of who I am. And I can use it to, to have an impact. I can think about the type of impact that I want to have in this world. And I, I think about for you, you know, you, you say that, that you want your students to grow in confidence and understanding and empathy and work ethic and effort and social interaction and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And they can be informed by some of the ways that you have dealt with the trauma in your life. Because the reality is, even if a child doesn't think that they've experienced trauma, they likely have. And if they haven't yet, they're going to because, hey, just keep on living. Right? I, I know, right. Keep waking up, baby. Like you are going yep. to come. going to happen. It's going to happen. So I think that that really helps them to, to, as you say, to be seen and to feel heard and to to understand that, that what they've gone through matters, but it doesn't have to be all of who you are. Like you're so much more than just this one thing, but how can you use that thing to have a greater impact? And that's what I love about what you're saying as far as like, yes, I'm a proud member of the LGBTQIA plus community, but I don't necessarily have to like say, hey, this is what's going on for me to be able to, to be able to connect with them, right? And say, hey, like mm-hmm. I've, I've got a story where I have experienced some pain and challenge and struggle, but victory and, you know, and, and builds up my, co- all of that is a piece of who you are without you necessarily saying like, these are the specific details of that thing. Right. Yeah. I think that's important because yeah, sharing how the experience has impacted you is the, mo- is the more important part. You don't have to share the specific, but you can share how you've reacted to it or the struggles that you've had and how you've overcome them. I think it's important for kids uh, I think sometimes we think the kids know those things already, like how to or how you deal with the trauma or how you deal with something that has affected you. But sometimes kids don't know or they don't have the strategies that maybe work for them. Modeling that for them and sh- and, do- and showing them different ways that you can talk about that or overcome that or different strategies that you have is so important because they need that too. They need the tools and they need lots of different tools. Things that work for one kid might not work for another kid. So I think it's important to share all those things with them. If you said something else, now it's out of my head. <laughs> I loved what you said, but yeah, I mean, just going back to the tools thing, I think those things are important to kind of keep everybody, you know, give them different strategies and different ways to handle things. You know, one of the things I noticed, for example, because I like examples, I like to help teachers (laughs) kind of hear what I'm saying. Um, A lot of schools right now are doing deep breathing and deep breathing works. Like we know what works for kids. We know it works for adults, but there are some kids, I have a couple this year that when I say like, hey, do you want to take a few deep breaths with me? They're like, no. (laughs) And it doesn't, it's because it doesn't work for them. And they have already kind of realized they're like, it doesn't work for me. And if it stresses a kid out, it's no longer a strategy for them. So I think being open to that too, and knowing that like, if we're going to do deep breathing or yoga or um, taking a walk around the building or something, sometimes it works for a kid and sometimes it doesn't. And that can either be like, they know it doesn't work for them or 
it does the opposite of what we want it to do. Another example that I like to give is sometimes we send kids on walks and usually walks help. But if you have a kid who's ruminating or who's anxious or who's worrying and you send them on a walk with nothing to do, they sometimes will come back to your room more agitated than you sent them out. And you're like, I don't what did someone say something to you in the hallway? But if they're ruminating or they're anxious and they're going, they have nothing else to do, then it just gets worse. So I started, if that works for them, then they need that physical like exertion and they need a walk. I'll send them with something that they can do as well. Like a really, really simple, I'm talking like kindergarten level crossword puzzle or word search or a coloring thing. I'm blessed in my school that they've accepted this as something that works. We'll send them with their Chromebook in their hand with a playlist pulled up that we've kind of curated for them so that it's appropriate music, but something that like, so they can listen to something while they're going. Those little things help and thinking about different strategies that you can use with your kids and how if they're not working, how you can just little tweaks, little, little things that maybe switch what it's doing for a kid. It doesn't have to be these grand, elaborate, take five hours to complete things. It can just be like, hey, instead of just taking a walk, how about you go put post notes on people's lockers, five positive post notes on people's lockers. You're on the walk, but it's giving you something to do to get you out of your head. Um, and sometimes, honestly, distraction is the best way to get a kid at least out of the, the mindset of feeling like they're trapped in that trauma. Just distracting them is sometimes the most important thing to do. And it can be something super silly and super simple, but that distraction is what actually pulls them out of their head in a mental health way and gets them kind of grounded and back on their feet in a way that they can, you can help handle it. So all those different tools and those different things that we're learning, just knowing what works for a kid and maybe what doesn't work for a kid is a part of being trauma-informed as well. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I feel like that is beneficial for educators too, because I'm not sure how many times we sit back and think for ourselves, what are the strategies that help me? As an educator, I know there were times when I was in the classroom where I would be triggered by something. Mm -hmm. And so what are my ways of getting myself to, is deep breathing working for me right now? Do I need to go out and take a walk? Do I need to put, put in my earbuds and listen to some music really quickly, right? Like what are the strategies? And I do agree with you that many times we think that, that students already know how to, to deal with this or that they know what strategy is gonna work for them. And they don't, even our, our high school students, if no one has guided them on a path of discovery, if no one has given them the space and the time and the opportunity to even think about it, then how in the world are they supposed to know what is best going to help them during the situation? And I've been reading the book Ratchetemic by Dr. Chris Emden, and if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. But he is talking in, in one of the chapters, I think it's chapter six, maybe, about a school that decided that they were going to, to really put an emphasis on mindfulness. And so they were teaching all the students about breathing, deep breathing and being mindful and reflective. And instead of suspending them, they would have them go into a room and do yoga and meditate. But then they found that the students weren't necessarily changing their behavior. They were having the students meditate on why they kind of wronged the teacher or whatever. But in the student's mind, they were like, I didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? Like, and honestly, it was a lot of, of kind of like a disconnect between understanding how students express themselves culturally without the additional piece of sometimes those conversations and understanding where someone's perspective and viewpoint, like you said, you, you can't just throw these things out here and avoid. And also mm -hmm. just saying one size fits all. Hey kids, today we're all going to do deep breathing. That may not work. You're going to go for a walk. I love how you said, especially with the, with the music and the playlist, because I know that 
that especially I think for this generation, it's so accessible. I know when I first got mm-hmm. into the classroom back in 2006, 2007, that just wasn't going to be a thing. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, you're, well, I guess if you're walking around with your, with your, with your disc man, and you, you put your CD in, right? Like there wasn't necessarily this, this way for us to do it as, as easily as we can do this now in 2022. Yeah. So let's use what we have. It doesn't have to be this big thing, all expensive stuff. What do we already have? You know, I think that also helps kids understand how to use that tool appropriately. Like if you just... Mm-hmm. Say like you can't use your Chromebook on, or you can't use YouTube. Let's help them find a playlist, curate a playlist that is appropriate. That's, I mean, that's academically based, that's social emotionally based, that's trauma based, that's culturally based. Like if you use that to help them, it changes the whole narrative instead of just don't do that. And what should you do? And how could you use that tool to help you? Isn't that a great opportunity at the very beginning of the school year? When we're using those first few weeks anyway, as we, we should be anyway, right? We shouldn't be diving yeah. into content yet. Those first couple of weeks should be about relationship building and creating norms, co-creating norms, not, not just the teacher mm-hmm. giving norms, but co-creating norms, even with our kindergartners. But what a great activity to have your students come in. And when we're talking about appropriate use of technology, say, hey, guess what? I want to make sure that I am meeting your needs, whether you are coming into the classroom and you are super excited for the day or you're not so excited for the day. And one of the things I think that can really help is for you to use YouTube, like you said, and find a really great playlist. Like let's let's work together to figure out the strategies to help you to best be able to perform and show up the way that you want to, right? Because maybe sometimes we come in and we are upset and angry and we don't want to be that way, but we haven't sorted through our feelings yet. So I I love that. That is a great first couple of weeks activity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have so many more questions and I want to <laughs> talk more. <laughs> every teacher that is listening to this podcast episode, I want to make sure that they know how to find you because I have learned so much from just engaging with your content on Instagram and just being able to talk to you. Obviously, I, I can I can reach out to you, but I want teachers to know where they can find you to get more information about trauma-informed teaching and then do you have any resources maybe that they can that they can grab to be able to use in their classrooms or to learn more about using this practice? Yeah. Um, so you can find me, the, my most active places would be Instagram and Instagram is at MikeyDTeach. I'm also not as, not as active, but playing around with TikTok and that's at Upper Elementary Teacher. And then um, my website is MikeyDTeach.com and I can put a link in there for you on the show notes with Jocelyn. I do have a course, two courses. One is more introductory and it's kind of like a, you could get to know me better and what kind of the way that I work with teachers and that's the trauma-informed classroom. And then I have a second course that's more of what I call my signature course. It's five modules and it really dives deep into trauma-informed teaching, different strategies that you can use why it works. And that's called the trauma-informed teaching lens. And you can find information about both of those at mykdteach.com. And I can also give you a link to that kind of directs you right to those if you're interested in that as well. Yes, I will definitely get all of those links, you know, your your handle for Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> and yep. I'll be sure that I put all that information in the show notes because like I said before, I, culturally responsive pedagogy and trauma-informed instruction. I mean, they they just work so well together when you're trying to, to, to know the full, the whole, the complete story of a student. If we don't know who our students are, we really cannot teach them in the best way. And if we don't understand what they're coming into the classroom with from an emotional standpoint, the content, just, it's just not going to land. It's not going to matter. You're going to get to the end of the quarter and the end of the school year. You're going to give these kids a test and a quiz and say, well, I know I taught it. Well, you taught it, but were they fully present? 
Because I think about for myself how many times I zone out whenever I have something major going on in my life, right? And I just, I yeah. zone out, I come back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have missed completely whatever that person just said. <laughs> how can I ask them to repeat it in a really nice way, you know, because I missed it. So we yeah. don't want to miss these opportunities to be able to help our students to understand themselves better. As educators, I feel like our goal, our 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 job is not just to teach them the content, right? But it's to help them to understand who they are so that they can thrive in this world. Mm-hmm. And, and you shared with, with me earlier that you feel like the purpose of education is to build students up in a holistic way, to help them find success academically, socially, physically, emotionally, and intellectually. That is not just content-based. Right. That means getting to know who they are at their core. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, that's the most important part to me for sure. Well, Mikey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Like it has definitely been a pleasure for me to be able to talk to you, to learn more about this. Like I said, I've, I've been learning from you on Instagram and just from other conversations that I've been able to be a part of with you, but (laughs) selfishly being able to kind of ask you questions myself (laughs) has been really great. And I, I know that Every teacher that's listening is going to really get so much from this episode. So thank you. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. I love listening to your stuff as well. And I learned so much from you too. So this has been great. All right. Well, again, just look down in the show notes, get all of the links so that you can find out how to get in contact with Mikey so that you can learn more about trauma-informed teaching. Like this is going to change the game. In the show notes, you will find all of the details. So don't, if, if you, you know, you may want to listen back, but if you, you know, if you're driving, please don't like, be dangerous. <laughs> just wait to get to your stopping point. And you can look in the show notes and you can find all of the information about Mikey. I will talk to you next Wednesday. That's a wrap on today's episode, but it doesn't have to be a wrap on the intentional action you're taking in your classroom. Now, I know you're headed over to go grab your free resource because everybody loves free. But let me tell you what the next best action is. It's to hop on a coaching call with me so that you and I can talk specifically about your lessons and the dynamics in your classroom. I want to make sure you are fully supported on your journey as you are creating inclusive and welcoming and affirming lessons for all of your students. So head over to customteachingsolutions.com and click on the link to schedule a coaching call. I cannot wait to talk to you then.